Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host Brian, and before we get into this week's episode, the answer to last week's music trivia question was, of course, the Eagles. Now for this week's music trivia question. Which rock frontman used to earn $8 for smoking cigarettes as part of a science experiment at UCLA? Now, let's get straight into this week's episode. My guest is Lance Ingram from Yesterday's Concert Podcast. Lance has been to over 750 concerts and he decided to turn his experiences into a podcast. It's a hugely interesting and entertaining podcast that, if you like this one, I recommend checking it out. Anyway, let's hear all about it from the man himself. So... Let's get on with the show. Hey Lance, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Hey, I'm really excited to be here, Brian. I'm delighted to have you. I'm delighted to have you. So how are you doing today? Uh, Doing pretty good. Uh, Seasonal allergies down here in Memphis, Tennessee are getting the best of me. But other than that, uh, things are really good. Uh, Concerts are back and I got a couple on the on the docket this year so uh no big complaints from me how are you doing brian i'm not too bad not too bad uh i've got a concert wise i think i have two or three confirmed at the moment but uh hopefully i'll be adding to that list who uh who's on your docket coming up uh guns and roses that's been on my docket for like i think three years at this stage it's been rescheduled and rescheduled <laughs> so hopefully it actually goes ahead this time and then the yeah. chili peppers i think and uh there's one i think foreigner toto and nice. someone else is playing with them that should be good there was a I had tickets to see Ozzy Osbourne, but he keeps rescheduling. I think it's uh, yeah. nothing to actually do with the yeah. pandemic. I think it's just his age and, you know, his well-being. Yeah. What yeah, about you? Sure. No, you got uh, some big ones coming up. Yeah. Uh, so next week, uh, on Tuesday, I see Slipknot. And on Wednesday, I see Tame Impala. Um, trying to think of who's... I know those are the, and then John Mayer's in a couple of weeks. Slipknot, I got for like 20 bucks. I was like, hey, there's a trip down memory lane right there for you. So (laughs) I was like, why not? Uh, So, uh, but yeah, so it's, uh, you know, especially the fall. I've noticed the fall is really starting to pack up. And um, so things are, it's it's cool to see things come back and they're coming back with a vengeance, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's something I'm actually hugely jealous of you guys over there in the States. Like you could literally have a concert every night if you wanted to. Yes, like ours, we really you'd be could. lucky to have one a month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That we're, we're, I guess we're lucky in that way. My my wallet and bank account think otherwise. Uh, they <laughs> they tend to disagree with you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could uh I could imagine. So um 
the reason we're here today, you have a pretty interesting podcast that I think my listeners are going to love. Yesterday's concert. Would you like to tell us about it? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's uh, it's not your normal music commentary podcast. Uh, it's more, I tell people it's a lot like serial, but in every way except for content wise. Uh, there's no murder or intrigue as far as my show goes. But yeah, I, I try to, I take uh, what I call my jam journals. So I've been to more than 750 concerts and I take pages and these little diary like experiences and I turn them into audio dramas. Um, I had lots of soundscapes and effects and things like that and try to bring the stories to life. Uh, but the point of it is to connect with other music fanatics in their own experiences. Um, just because, you know, my favorite band and their favorite band are different doesn't mean that there's not shared experiences and going to these shows and uh, understanding and feeling things because, you know, for music fanatics, these, these concerts are going to be mile markers for people's lives. Like, I mean, you're building your summer and your, your year around going to see Guns N' Roses and Red Hot Chili yeah. Peppers. You know, those are going to be big days for you this year. Um, so that's what I wanted to connect with other music fans about is just, you know, these are really big moments in our lives. And, you know, we often all have these same stories. We just don't get to tell them very often. So that's, I'm just trying to bring these stories to life for other people. Yeah. Yeah. I've listened to a good few of your episodes now and like the production quality is on another level, but there's something that well, keeps sticking in my mind. It kind of reminded me of, you know, Disgraceland, that podcast. Yes. it <laughs> It's it's funny you say that. Really? You've heard it before. So yeah. Disgraceland was a huge influence uh, for me. It was kind of the turning point because I started this project back in 2017. Um, and the first episode didn't go live until September of 2021 to give you an idea of how long I've been working on it. Um, so the, the thing about it was I, I had been compiling these stories just for my own personal keepsake. Um, a lot of it was just kind of like, you know, jotting down a memory or running through the set list or why that show was important to me. Uh, just these real brief memories and then I heard, and you know, I've been thinking like, what am I doing this for? What are these stories going towards? And then I heard Disgraceland and I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do with these stories. I want to bring them to life like he's doing with these other stories. Uh, his stories are a little more like serial in content. Uh, you're going to see a lot more murder and intrigue. Um, but yeah, that was, that was actually like a really, really big influence on me. Um, and that show has continued to be a big influence on me just in terms of production values and the stories that he tells and the way he tells them. That's a big deal because, you know, you can read these concert, you know, these music biographies and things like that. And you can, you can see the stories, but you can't feel them. Um, so I, I really like the way that he's casting new light on these stories that we may have heard dozens of times before. You do a great job at keeping the, the listener engaged. You know, what's exciting the way it's not just you're reading from a journal or you're telling a story about a concert you went to. Like you actually, you're a great storyteller. You add little bits into the story. You know, I was listening to uh, the Jerry Garcia one and the thing about your man getting searched by the cops. Like it's little nuggets like that yeah. that you throw in to keep the listener engaged and entertained. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's really kind of you to say. I, I mean, I think that's the, you know, one thing I've, I've realized in going to all these concerts is, you know, I go to a lot of them by myself and I end up talking to my neighbor or talking to somebody I meet in the beer line or whatever it is. And, you know, we all have stories to tell. We all talk, you know, when we're at a concert, we're there for one thing. Uh, so we already have that thing in common and we can start talking about it. And, you know, I just, I find that like, 
especially with like the dead and somebody that's as huge as the dead is, you know, I, when people tell me about seeing Jerry Garcia in person, I'm, I'm all ears. You know, I met somebody the other day that saw the Beatles in 1966 oh, when wow. they came to Memphis. And I mean, I just, I begged the guy to tell me every single detail of the story. And I mean, he was telling me about just, you know, the day after and, you know, how is like, cause that was when it was right off the heels of John Lennon making his comments about being bigger than God. And he was talking about his Sunday school teacher was like, you know, bashing him for going to the concert and stuff like that. Uh, So it's just, you know, those little stories like that are what really bring those memories to life. And, you know, it's it's what I mean when we talk about the mile markers, because the concert is only a minute, like a minute of the actual memory that you have there. So it's, it's a really, you know, that's what I wanted to get into the stories is like, you know, these are just my stories, but I hope people are able to connect to them through those little nuggets like you talked about. Yeah, yeah. And 750 concerts. Like, oh my <laughs> God, how many years is that spread across? Uh, since 2005. So it's roughly, what's that, 17? I'm not great with math. Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of concerts in even that space of time. Yeah, it is. And my personal best was in 2016. I mean, 2019, I did 162 concerts in one year. Um, There's actually somewhere on my website, there's a breakdown. I did like, you know, X number of headliners, X number of festival sets and everything like that. Uh, So it was really cool to see. And it was like something like 30, 40 different venues and all this stuff. Uh, So it's really cool at at the end of the year to like kind of break it down. And And I do have to say like that, that was an exceptional year. Uh, I think it was the universe preparing me for 2020, getting it all out of my system for a minute. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, I am very fortunate, you know, and it helps that I live in a music town. Like, you know, Memphis is no stranger to, to good music coming through. Very true. Very true. So we might touch on the, your concert experiences for a bit. Sure. Can you remember the very first, I'm sure you can remember, you uh, do a podcast about it. Can you remember the very <laughs> first concert you were at, the one that got you hooked? So I, I, I have a first concert and then I have my actual first concert. You know, I, I, I say 750. I know it's more than that. There's plenty that I don't remember. Um, my very first concert that I wanted to go to that I begged my parents to let me get a ticket for was 2005. It was Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers. Um, I grew up in Mississippi, so you can take the Southern, you can take me out of the South, but you can't take the South out of me. Uh, so it was, <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up on classic rock radio. I, I was a big fan of Leonard Skinner. I love the the Southern rock. Uh, you know, the Allman Brothers were cool. Um, I really dug their, um, their bigger radio hits. I had no idea that they were more of a jam band at the time, uh, their, at least their live shows. Uh, so I know I'd been to shows before that. I knew there was concerts that I'd been to. I just, I have very little memory of them, but I know there's at least a dozen. Um, but yeah, it was, it was that Leonard Skinner and Allman Brothers show. And uh, it was a double co-headlining tour. Uh, I think Skinner played like 90 minutes and then the Allman Brothers played like two and a half hours. I was not expecting the Allman Brothers to do as much jamming as they did. I mean, it was really like adventurous and expeditious and I had no idea about any of that. Uh, but yeah, I was, I went with my dad, my dad took me, uh, luckily I've been able, I have a really great relationship with my dad and he took me, he's taken me to see a lot of classic rock legends. Like we've seen Bob Dylan, the Eagles, um, Eric Clapton, Fleetwood Mac, just, we've seen a ton together, Tom Petty. Um, and so that, you know, that was a really special moment for me, even though I was a teenager and wanted to be cool and do my own thing. 
I got to go to my first real concert with my dad. And, you know, it was, you know, we, you know, talking about the show afterwards and dissecting what they played, what they didn't play. You know, we were talking about how they didn't play Ramblin' Man. Like, how do you not play Ramblin' Man? It's like, well, we didn't know there was a history behind that. Um, so, yeah, that was a, it was a really, it's a fond memory that I get to have. Yeah, yeah. And what makes a good concert for you? What has to happen for you to walk away saying that was one of the best? Oof, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say because, you know, if, when you start thinking about the best, you have to kind of put them on levels because you know my favorite concert that i've been to is paul mccartney i saw him at the dallas cowboys stadium which is like eighty thousand people it's huge it's a beetle he has all this legacy he's got like 60 years of you know singing and playing these songs going in but then i've seen shows in little clubs and lounges by up-and-coming artists that were just they knocked my socks off they had none of the stage production they have none of the legacy so it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges in a lot of ways because how do you compare those two things? It's, it's two completely different ball games. Um, You know, it's like football and baseball. They're both sports, but they're two different games. Um, So for me, it's, it's about, you know, how does the music translate in the room? How does the emotion attach to you? And that's kind of, again, going back to the mile marker thing, like those Beatles songs, I grew up with those songs, like everybody else. I mean, everybody grows up with the Beatles. Um, You know, that was the first time I ever cried at a concert is when he played something by George Harrison you know, that to me, that's what translates. How does it connect on my experiences and my relationship to the band? And I mean, then, you know, you have the club shows to somebody that's new and up and coming, you know, they're hungry. They want to impress you. They want to go out of their way to really put on a good show because they may not be able to have enough gas money to make it to the next show if they don't. So to me, you know, there's just a multitude of things that can go into it. You know, it's, um, you know, it's just the hunger and the drive of those young artists. And then it's just, how do you connect with the bigger ones? And, you know, are they phoning it in, you know, especially some of these legacy artists, you can really tell when they're phoning it in and, you know, but I, I try not to have a negative perspective on a lot of these things. I mean, we're, I'm very fortunate to see the artists I get to see and get the songs that I get to hear. So I try not to take a negative spin on it. I try to take away what's the good from the show, what was enjoyable about it. Um, so, you know, it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors that go into it. And, you know, even, even something like who are your neighbors who's sitting next to you, because that can ruin a show. You can have noisy neighbors that don't know when to shut up, that they're too drunk and they throw up on your shoes. I mean, we've had that happen before. My wife was, we were at a Chris Stapleton concert and somebody threw up on my wife and it's just like that completely ruined our oh, evening. Man. So it, it's just like, a, you know, I could ramble on about this forever as I'm doing right now. Uh, but it's just a lot of factors that go into it. There really is nothing worse though than when your neighbors are just like I was at a concert before and I don't think I can remember who it was. It could have been Ed Sheeran, maybe, but I suppose it goes with the territory with Ed Sheeran. It was a younger group of people and they weren't there for the music. They were there for a good time. Every single one of them had had too much to drink. They were falling all over the place. And when I think of that concert now, that's what I think of. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. of the songs or the production that went into it. That's what sticks out in my mind first. So you're right. It does. It does have a huge impact on the concert for you. Yeah. And it's sad that it's like that because I can remember uh, I'm a really big Dave Matthews band fan. Um, and I made this really epic journey to go see them in St. Louis when I was in college. Um, and I was on the first one of the first rows of my section. And right in front of me was the VIP section. 
and each section had like a, a company sponsor name on it. So it was clearly owned by whatever company. Um, and the one right in front of me was clearly like the CEO's daughter and all of her friends. They did not care one lick about the show. I, I think they spent most of the show with their backs to the stage. They took more selfies than they did pictures of the concert you know, they were ordering drinks like it was going out of style. Uh, and, you know, and it was really distracting. It was a major bummer because I'd made like a pretty wild trip to get up for this concert. And they're just completely distracting me from the entire show. I mean, that's something I've kind of come to expect with Dave Matthews shows at this point. But it is a bummer when your neighbors can't be cool. Um, but, you know, for every for every show that gets ruined, I have five more that were excellent because I had great neighbors, you know, neighbors that, you know, really got into the show with me or pumped me up. So I, I try not to focus on those as much, but it is sad how people can't be a little more respectful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something that really irritates me though. People that, like you said, they were taking more selfies that had their back to the stage and they were in the VIP, you know, their seats that true fans would actually kill for, you know what I mean? And they couldn't have cared less that they were in there. Like, oh, I don't know. I'd, that's, I don't know. It, it drive me nuts. It's it's terrible. That's we uh. There's a local festival here called Mempho Festival, um, and it was like one of the first few years they did it. And I was part of the street team, and I ended up like getting enough ticket comps or whatever that they I won some super VIP tickets. These weren't just VIP tickets; they were v, super VIP tickets. Uh, so yeah. this meant like open bar, open catering, massage tables, like literally chandeliers hanging over couches. These like premium viewing spot seats. And when the, the headliner was back and me and my buddy, I got to take a friend with me and me and my buddy were down at the front, like on the rail, like 10 feet away from back. And I look back and literally like everybody's just sitting under the chandeliers, drinking beer and pounding oysters. And I'm like, what do you like? You paid an exorbitant amount of money to be in the spot and you're not even paying attention to the music. What are you doing right now? Like this mm. is back up here and you're just sitting there pounding oysters. Like what's wrong with you? But I mean, I guess, you know, I hate to, I don't want to hate on those people because it's their money. They're allowed to do what they want. They spent the, they bought the ticket. So they're allowed to enjoy it however they want. They weren't hurting me. Um, I just, I mean, I just have a different perspective on how to enjoy concert, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And with so many concerts under your belt, would you be, would you go to a concert now just for the sake of going or does it all have to be someone you're really into? Oh, no, I definitely go just to go like, uh, like Slipknot this upcoming Tuesday. Like, I, I mean, I like Slipknot. There's, they're good. And, um, you know, they definitely are a, a pioneer, a big name in the new metal scene and, uh, and just metal in general. Um, so I'm definitely wanting, and, you know, I liked them a lot when I was a teenager, they got that teenage angst out of me. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm definitely going because there's some personal connection, but I mean, it was a $20 ticket and I, you know, why not? They're coming yeah. to town. Uh, you know, there's, I try not to just go to go. I'm trying to scale back. I got really bad um, 2019 last year, 2021 about kind of just going to go um, because I, you know, I like a lot of music. I have fairly broad taste. And so it's like, well, I like that one song. I'll go check them out, see how their show is. And it, it just, 
it gets expensive. And then, you know, I'm, I'm away from my wife. I don't get to spend as much time with her. So I'm trying to scale back on doing that. But yeah, I, I mean, sometimes I'll go to go, like, especially if she's out of town and there's nothing else going on. Like I saw Bon Jovi. I, it was actually a, a memory for me uh, two or three days uh, ago, like in, or it was five years ago, but it was the anniversary of the show was like two or three days ago. And um, it was, it was a $20 ticket. My wife was out of town. I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll go see Bon Jovi. It was terrible. It was absolutely (laughs) awful. It was one of the worst shows I've ever seen. Um, And so, I mean, like, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, I'm trying to scale back on just going for going. I'd love to know where you're getting these $20 tickets. I've, I don't think I've ever even seen a $20 (laughs) tickets. Like over here, it's 60, 70 euro, but uh, I can definitely agree with Bon Jovi. I seen him. It was either 2018 or 19. It was just before the pandemic and the same, the worst concert I've been to. He just, he's like a guy that should have stopped maybe 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, he, he mailed it in, like he, he really mailed it in and his set list was awful. You know, when I think about Bon Jovi, I think about 1980s, you know, power ballads, you know, classic rock legend. I mean, he's got the songs, like there's no doubt about his catalog. He's got a lot of great songs and a lot of great hits, but he was, he was on an album tour. He had just come out with a new album and there was a stretch of like seven or eight songs that were all off his new album. And I mean, it's just like, dude, you have too many hits to play seven or eight songs out of 20 songs strictly from this one new album like you just can't do that and then like i mean there was these two women probably in their early 40s sitting next to me and they came in wine drunk they were ready for some john you know i think they were going to take their tops off for him if he had like asked them to (laughs) and you know when he came out they were so excited and then by the time he got into those six or seven new songs i I overheard them they were sitting there talking about bath towels they were completely disengaged from the concert And I was like, how bad does it have to be that these women that are wine drunk, so excited, they're sitting there talking about buying new linens for their bathroom instead of paying <laughs> attention to the concert. And I couldn't even get mad at them. Like, you know, and like finally at the end of the show, he's like, all right, from here out, it's nothing but the hits. He played like three hits and then he was off the stage for the night. And it's like, dude, that's a terrible set list. Why would you do that? Like, it just completely ruined me ever wanting to try to see Bon Jovi again. Yeah, yeah, it was the exact same for me. It was the hits at the end, but even at that, I'd say it was three, maybe four. Like, and it wasn't even his biggest hits, you know. When you get to that level or that stage in your career, you have to know what the crowd wants. You know, obviously you're going to want to play your new music, but you've got to keep them engaged, like every second song do a hit and sprinkle the new ones in amongst them. You know, but uh, as well, he kept trying to dance and it was like watching <laughs> your drunk grandfather trying to dance like he just it was embarrassing, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's, I remember he uh, he made a comment because he had people sitting behind the stage and he was talking about like he was shaking his butt. And he's like, y'all might have the best seat in the house or something, something like that. And I was like, dude, that's weird. You're literally like 60 years old, shaking your butt and people are behind <laughs> you or staring at it like this ain't Bruce Springsteen born in the USA cover or anything like calm down, man. (laughs) So, but I mean, I want to, I want to go back to your point about, you know, the new stuff. Like I got to see Neil Young and he was coming, you know, Neil Young constantly puts out new albums. Um, And so, and Neil, you know, it's an interesting conversation because you start thinking about like artistic integrity versus what do the people want to pay? You know, the people that paid, what do they want to hear? And it's a hard balance for especially legacy artists because, you know, 
we want to hear the hits, but they've been playing the hits for 50 years. They probably don't want to play that hit ever again. You know, and when they come out with this new album, they're probably excited about playing it just because it's something different. And, you know, that's a, that's a hard balance. I feel for those legacy artists in that position, because, you know, from an artistic perspective, that's a really big complicated issue you have to work through when creating the set list, you know, talking about not wanting to mail it in, you know, that's, that's how you mail it in is when you play the same songs every single night. That's one of the reasons I love the jam band world is because they play such different sets every night. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's when I saw Neil Young, he came out and opened with the 40 minute down by the river. I mean, how like 40 minutes of just jamming. It was incredible. <laughs> and then, you know, he played several new songs in a row right after that. But it's like, dude, you just jammed the heck out of Down by the River. So it's really hard for me to complain about anything you're playing right now. So it's mm-hmm. a really hard issue for him. I feel for him in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I'd say he's definitely one that knows how to keep the crowd happy, though. You know, oh, absolutely. But absolutely. I've heard some. I've heard some horror stories about him over the years that he can be real grumpy when on stage. And, you know, if things aren't going his way, he'll easily walk off the stage. So it's a, you know, it could be a bit iffy going to see him in case he's not in the best form. And there's, you know, there's a lot of artists that are kind of like, like Jack White. I've I've read a lot of stories that he's a lot like that. And, you know, I I mean, I, I think there's, you know, I think that's when the artist needs to kind of take a step back. And that's what we're talking about. Like we did pay to see you, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, I'm a big basketball fan and the Lakers, they were booing their team a couple nights ago because they were playing so poorly. And, you know, all these commentators are like, they have no right to boo their team. Like what kind of fan are you? I'm like, no, they, they paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars to have those courtside seats. Like, and if they're playing like absolute garbage and not showing up, they have a right to boo their team if they want. Like, you know, I think that's fair. So, I mean, I think that's where the artist kind of has to step off their pedestal and say, you know, these people paid for a show, you know, if I'm not playing what they want to hear, that's on me because they might be getting mad, but it's up to the artist to find a set list that makes both parties happy. And it's definitely possible. I've seen tons and tons of artists, legacy artists do a good balanced mix. So, I I mean, I think that's where, you know, they're just, they're having to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a concert that you've been to that you wish you hadn't have went to that it went so badly. Hmm. Definitely that Bon Jovi one. Uh, <laughs> I would have rather sat at home and just kept listening to the power ballads on the radio. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, there's nothing that I regret going to see. Um, you know, I mean, I can think about one time going to see Dave Matthews. I was in Chicago. They were hosting a festival in Southside Chicago. Uh, it was at this completely new site that they were opening up for for festivals. So it was literally a testing experiment to see if they could do it. Uh, it was literally at the end of the the train line, and um, I had to take like a bus to get to the festival grounds. Um, and this is all ha- so I had volunteered. The only way I could afford to get into the show was I had volunteered to work at the festival. Um, and so what they made a deal that if you worked like four or five hours a day, you got to see Dave Matthews every night for free. Um, so it was a pretty good deal. So I had the early shift that day. And so I had to be at the festival grounds at like nine in the morning or something like that. And so I was, um, I had taken the train all the way down. I was waiting on the bus uh, and I got on the bus and it was in a rougher part of town and I was not met with the kindest of people. Uh, there was a gentleman on there that was threatening to break my glasses and shove the shards into my eyes. And, uh, okay. you know, he was lunging at me and threatening to kill me. 
and everybody else on the bus was laughing at it. Um, you know, and when he got off the bus, he slammed the glass where I was sitting and just making some threats at me for, you know, just being on the bus and being obviously not from the area. Uh, so that was really scary. And, uh, it ended up being one of the greatest Dave Matthews shows I'd seen that night, but you know, it was definitely not a situation I want to find myself in again. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Back <laughs> to that whole thing of, uh, one bad experience kind of overshadows yeah. the, the concert exactly. or the memory at least. Exactly. Yeah. Jeez. Is there anyone that people, maybe your friends would be surprised that you've seen? Someone that isn't your usual go-to? Probably not, honestly. I'm pretty, I'm a big believer in no guilty pleasures. Um, You like what you like and you shouldn't be ashamed of it. I I don't see any reason. Like, you know, a lot of people, I got into Taylor Swift in 2010. That was on her Speak Now album cycle. And a lot of people uh, made fun of me because I was a a guy in my 20s who liked Taylor Swift. This was before she was the, the big pop culture phenom that she is today. Um, mm. She was still kind of that country artist that sings about heartbreak and ballads and all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I got a lot of flack for it, but I really didn't care because I saw something more in her music. I saw that there was a lot more that she was capable of than what people were giving her credit for. And, you know, so what if they want to mock me for liking what I like, you know, that's, that's on them for trying to gatekeep um, because it, there's something great in every song and every artist for someone and there's no reason that you shouldn't enjoy what you enjoy. So why be ashamed of that? And, you know, I have no bones admitting, you know, I, I love female driven pop music. Like it, it's really great to go exercise to. And it's, there's a lot more depth and production value that a lot of people don't give it credit for. So no, I don't really think there's anybody that would catch anybody. None of my friends would be caught by surprise. And most of my friends know that I'm an avid enough. Like, I mean, I saw Harry Styles by myself last year. Um, you know, that was quite an experience. Um, but, you know, I, I had no shame. You know, I was there and there was nothing but like teenage girls. And I'm a 30 year old guy sitting there by myself. But like, no shame. I love his music. And I'm not going to, you know, not go just because I'm afraid of my gender and what I'm doing there. Yeah. People could say what they want about Harry Styles, but I bet he actually puts on one hell of a show. I imagine in years to come, we're going to look at him like the way we look at uh, the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger. You know, Mm. he kind of has that kind of air and feel about him. It was, I mean, it was a great show. Uh, There was a little bit, I don't know his personality well enough. I'm not like a super fan or anything to know what he's like in other concerts. It was the first time I'd seen him. I don't watch concert footage of him or anything. I just listen to his albums. Um, I mean, there was a little bit of that kind of phoning it in. It was pretty obvious. He plays the same exact set list every single night. And, you know, I really felt bad for the guy because it was a lot like Beatles mania because the girls were just screaming the entire show. I mean, every time he opened his mouth, they were screaming just because, I mean, like, there was a, a row in front of me or you know, surrounded by young women, but there was a row in front of me of teenagers that before the show, like they were just like one of the girls would be like, Harry's going to be on in such amount of time. And they would start screaming, just screaming at his name. And, you know, I, I was thinking, I was like, you know, you're just so overwhelmed by the experience of this man that you're losing context of what's happening around you. Um, and so I felt really bad for him because, you know, every time he would just speak to the crowd, they were just hypersexualizing him and screaming at everything he did. And, you know, I was like, you're, you're an artist, you know, you, 
I do know enough about him to know that he views himself as an artist. He takes a lot of pride in what he does. And I, and I felt bad because he's, he's just being sexualized instead of being taken seriously as an artist. And like you were saying, I think people are going to look back in 20 years and say like, he has some really great albums, you know, and when he's on his theater tour, when he's 65 years old, like, I think the songs will really be appreciated then. And that's going to be a really cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. It will. It will. He's, um, He's one of a few music stars nowadays that are actually like that. He kind of, you can mm-hmm. see him, even if you're into his music or not into his music, you can see he has the longevity to last, you know? Definitely. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. Um, you know, he'll, he'll never be Taylor Swift levels. Um, you know, I, I, I do think he'll, you know, he's got more hits than Jackson Brown. So, I mean, he'll be around. He's not going anywhere. I think... If anything, it may come to a personal t- point with him where he's just going to pursue art in art's sake rather than just doing albums or doing music in any way. Uh, I really have no projection of his trajectory, but uh, I mean, I, I do think you're right. Like, I think he's going to be around for a while. I don't think we, we're going to lose Harry Styles anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of him doing other things I seen in the, in the news last week that he's after launching a fashion line or something. And I think he has Mick Fleetwood. Yeah, he does. I saw those pictures. Yeah. Those are (laughs) hilarious. Like the pictures of Mick are worth it, man. It's so funny. Uh, Yeah. If anybody's listening and hasn't seen it, go look up Harry's Instagram. There's pictures of Mick Fleetwood posing in like satin clothing and stuff. It's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yeah, it is. I think He's probably the only person that could actually get Mick Fleetwood to do that. Oh, you know, definitely. it's so unexpected. <laughs> well, and you know, and that's you know, that brings up a point. It's really cool that he has such reverie for Mick Fleetwood Mac. Like I know him and Stevie Nicks are really close. Um, you know, there was an interview with or a big feature article on him in Rolling Stone a couple of years ago, and it was talk about like he he took his mother to see Fleetwood Mac. And he was talking about just going backstage and hanging out with Stevie Nicks and just how kind and tender she was to him um, and how in a lot of ways she was kind of being his mentor for this, you know, solo career that he was going on. Um, but, yeah, he, it's really cool when you see these younger artists having a lot of respect for those legacy artists that really paved the way for them. Uh, you know, you have a lot of artists that are younger that don't really seem to care um, so it's, it's really cool when, you know, they pay their respects and, you know, make obvious that they didn't just earn this, that somebody paved the way for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's for me anyway, personally, that would actually make me respect an artist even more. You know, I hate Definitely. seeing an artist nowadays who's like, you feel like if you went to them, who's the Beatles or who's Fleetwood Mac, be like who? You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's sad. Is there a gig that you've missed out on? Because I know personally, I have I had tickets for I think there was two or three big ones that I couldn't go to for for reasons. But uh, it was REM and mm. the Doors when they reformed in the early two thousands. Wow. And I'm a massive Doors fan. Like that would be if I had made it to that. Even if they completely phoned it in, I would have been in heaven. You know, just to yeah. be there and experience that. But unfortunately, yeah. I missed it. On it, and I think I had tickets to see Meatloaf as well back in two thousand and nine. Wow! But unfortunately, didn't get to go. Was there? A, is there any that you've missed out on? I think the majority of the ones that I've missed out on were like moments in time. Um, I say that as in like to give an example. Uh, in two thousand eight, 
the black, I was, I went to school at the university of Mississippi, which is in Oxford, Mississippi. It's about 90 minutes South of Memphis. Um, so that was a big part of why I chose to go to school there is because we could come up and go to concerts. Um, so the black keys were coming to a little club here in Memphis. Uh, and I mean, it was like a 1500 seater and they were fresh off their attack and release album. And I think tickets were like 25 bucks, 30 bucks tops. And I begged all my friends, I'm like, somebody go with me to this concert. Somebody go like, and I couldn't find anybody to go with me. So I skipped it. I just missed out on the show. And then like the very next tour, they're playing like arenas and head, you know, like headline and festivals and stuff. And it's yeah. like, you know, we could have seen the black keys in this tiny little club, but we chose not to. Um, mm. So, I mean, I, I, you know, aside from like the big legacy artists like Zeppelin and all that kind of stuff, you know, I'm really fortunate that I've been able to see most of the people that I've really wanted to see. I mean, there's still a laundry list of people that I'd love to catch. But I mean, I think a lot of it is just that moment in time of catching an artist on a specific tour or right before they blew up. Like a good example is I got to see Casey Musgraves to play the Ryman Auditorium. I think that's in season one, actually. Um, you know, and, and now she's headlining arenas, you know, and the Ryman yeah. is such a revered music venue. And, you know, for, to see her there in that small setting and that venue, you know, but now she's playing arenas. That's just a really cool story. And that that's kind of what I mean by catching them at a specific time. Like I guess last year I had tickets to see Phoebe Bridgers, who's just one of my absolute favorites. Punisher is one of my top five albums of all time. Um, I had tickets to see her and I ended up having a, it was like a four hour drive on a Monday night and I was going to have to drive home after the concert. Uh, so you're talking about three in the morning getting home. And I had, I ended up having this huge work meeting the next day and I was just like, there's no way I can come into this meeting being tired. So I had to just eat the cost of the ticket. Um, and yeah, I was a major bummer because Phoebe Bridgers in a lot of ways was kind of like my safety net for the pandemic. Um, mm. I would take these really long bike rides and listen to Punisher on repeat. And it was just, it was so cathartic for me. And so to miss out on that really hurt. Uh, it was really sad. And she kind of got kind of going back to what I was saying, like, she's not going to be playing these small venues for much longer. I mean, she's such no. a big name in indie music right now. I mean, she's, she's really going to explode and become bigger. Um, so that was, that was a major bummer for me as well. So nobody quite like REM or the doors, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've had a few. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd normally, when I'm speaking with musicians, I'd normally ask them this question, but as a concert goer, do you prefer the intimate smaller venues or the large arenas? It depends. Um, it depends on the show because like I saw Tame Impala last year and I mean, it was just to imagine that show in any other setting wouldn't have worked because it was, you know, big stage production, lots of lights, big video screens. And, you know, it translated with the music so well, you know, cause I was talking to a buddy this week who was talking about seeing them at a club in like 2016 or something. And I was like, you know, I, I don't even care. Like, it's really cool. You saw them in a small club, but like to see the large production that they had in the arena was worth it, in my opinion. Uh, Cause you, you know, I paid to see part of that. I mean, it's like seeing Taylor Swift on the reputation tour, you know, it was in a giant stadium, but I mean, the, the stage setup was massive and that was part of the show that made it appealing. Um, I mean, there's definitely something incredible about seeing an artist in a small and intimate venue. Um, the Foo Fighters played, um, it was uh, what's the Fillmore, New Orleans, I think is what it's called in 2019, I think is what, and I had a ticket. It was originally scheduled for Feb February 
And then something happened to Dave and he had to reschedule and I had to sell the ticket. But I mean, it was like a 2,500 person seat room and it's the Foo Fighters. I mean, oh, they could sell out. I mean, they sold out Wembley Stadium and stuff. So it's like, yeah. you know, to see them in that kind of setting would be cool. But I think you can only appreciate them once you've seen them in a large room. Like if I saw Tame Impala at the Ryman next week, that would be really cool because I've had that larger experience and I can appreciate the smaller room a little better, you yeah. know, for, for smaller artists. It's kind of difficult because like there's a band in America called Moon Taxi um, that they, they have some pretty decent, um, they're pretty good or, or they're really good, but they have some decent growth and uh, popularity. Uh, and, you know, I started seeing them in 2008 and the first show I saw them at was at a pizzeria um, in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi. And there was like 15 people there. And it was one of the most fun nights I've had in my life. And, you know, and now they're playing, you know, small amphitheaters the, or small amphitheaters and theaters and uh, just a couple of smaller arenas, you know, and it's, it's just a different show now. Like, you know, I, it's hard to say like the arena show, the current shows are better when the smaller shows are great because, you know, you're, high-fiving with the band in between songs it's really hard um so i mean it's just kind of a it could go either way uh really and mm -hmm. truly you know it's i think there's a lot of things to enjoy about both you know people talk a lot of crap about arena shows but if you get a good seat where the sound sounds good you know it's still a great show like you're not gonna yeah. have a bad time yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah i couldn't agree more one thing though the the foo fighters I actually, I couldn't imagine seeing them in a smaller venue. I almost feel like it would take away from them because they're mm. such a large arena rock band. Yeah. You know, I feel like there's some artists out there who are more suited to the bigger venues and the seem in a smaller venue it just wouldn't be as good, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's, the, I, had, I did an episode on them this season. It came out a couple of weeks ago, but it was, you know, I talk a lot about how they are just your, your standard typical stadium rock arena rock band. Uh, I mean, they almost pander to that kind of crowd and that setting. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It works for them. It's part of their band. Um, so, you know, it, it would be, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, it does work for them, but, you know, just to be able to see them in a smaller room would be neat because I've, I've been able to see the Foo Fighters like four or five times at this point. So to see them in a, you know, like I, I'm a big fan of non-traditional concert venues. Um, you know, I love sidewalk shows and just things like, you know, when they take a, take something out of your arena or club or wherever and just put it somewhere new and different, you know, I think it really adds a unique atmosphere. Um, so to be able to, I think for the Foo Fighters, putting them in a small club would be that non-traditional venue for them. And it would kind of challenge what they're able to do. And, and that would be the interesting thing about seeing them in that to me is just, you know, taking them out of what they're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it'd be a pretty good test for them, actually. Yeah. We'll move on to the last couple of questions now. I'm intrigued to hear your answers. If there was an artist or performer from history, any stage in history now that you haven't seen, but you could see in concert for one night only, who would it be? Uh, so I could probably, if I took time to think about this, I'd probably come up with a different answer, but the first artist that popped to my mind was Elvis Presley. Um, really? I, I grew up on Elvis literally for like five or six years of my life, young life. That's all I listened to. I literally did not listen to another artist except for Elvis Presley, um, from like second grade until like seventh grade. Um, 
and, and I'm not exaggerating when I say he literally was the only thing I listened to. Um, and, you know, just growing up in Mississippi, uh, I was a big fan of his and just seeing a Mississippi boy that actually made it out. And, you know, for a while I worked in Tupelo, Mississippi, where he was born. Um, I got to work with the Elvis Presley product bringing, I mean, I was pitching Elvis Presley birthplace to people all around the world. I literally had people um, that would come in from like Europe and they would say like, is Lance here? We want to talk to Lance because they knew I was the person that had been marketing to them. Um, So that was a really cool experience. And that just the Elvis Presley fan was really cool in that way. Um, but, you know, just even now moving to Memphis and living here now, you know, Elvis is just kind of ingrained into the culture. And, you know, I, I, I'm still just a big fan. And it's weird to think about him now because in a lot of ways he's underrated today. Mm. Um, you know, you don't hear him with as much reverie as you hear a lot of other 70s artists or things like that. You know, and I think with his voice, you know, he, he really should be, you know, revered like Johnny Cash is. Um, yeah. you, know, you know, I think that made because Johnny Cash had that late stage blossom uh, right at the end of his life. But, you know, I, I would definitely go see Elvis, probably like a 72, 73 show. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to see him in the 50s, uh, but definitely like those early 70s years before he just went too far. Um, yeah. And that would have been great to have seen him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a. Uh... He'd be on. He'd be probably the top of my list as well. Awesome. I've I've said it on the podcast before, but I'm a huge Elvis fan. And knowing that you you're based in Memphis, I was hoping he'd come up. I didn't know oh, how absolutely. you'd feel about him, but I'm the same. From the age of I'd say four or five until I was thirteen or fourteen, all I'd listen to every week with my pocket money, I was buying new records. I'd say I I have close to everything he ever recorded you know but uh yeah right i think like... we just became best friends i think we just <laughs> became best friends <laughs> yeah yeah but like living in memphis is there like a constant elvis thing there like i know i don't mean like graceland's there and everything mm-hmm. but like do people talk about him is he loved the way he would have been when he was alive not like when he was alive um definitely not his his memory that's kind of what i was talking about when he's underrated his memory and legacy is definitely starting to fade and it's pretty apparent um you know even like i i've read a lot about like graceland their ticket sales have gone down every year it seems like uh and i may be completely incorrect on that so please don't hold me accountable um but i i know graceland is not what it used to be i mean it's it's incredibly expensive it's like a hundred dollars to tour the place um yes. But, uh, you know, I mean, he's definitely like there's murals, there's statues, uh, you know, like our local sports teams always have like an Elvis night or something like that where they incorporate it or they do like a, you know, like they have the mascot dressed up like him and they put him in a bobblehead or something like that. I mean, Mm. so he's there, but you don't hear him talked about like it's kind of, you know, I imagine it's like living in Paris and you have the Eiffel Tower, like it's just part of your commute to see the Eiffel Tower. It's not something you stop and you know, recognize, you know, you know, like, I mean, cause the thing about Memphis is that we also have Stax records, we have sun records and we have, you know, big star was from here. Like big star is one of the best bands in the world, in my opinion, mm. um, you know, and, you know, ardent studios, it was, there's a really great restaurant across the street from ardent studios, which has a ton of history. Incredible. Like Led Zeppelin mixed an album. there, ZZ top, Jack white, the white stripes. I mean, just tons of history in the studio 
And I didn't know where it was. And the restaurant across the street, I was sitting in the window eating my lunch one day and I look up and I was like, that's Ardent Studios right there. Like, oh my gosh, like Led Zeppelin has been in that building before. Uh, so, I mean, like, it's just weird. Like, it's just part of Memphis. Like, it's just part of who we are. And, you know, you, when you have something every day, you just kind of start to overlook it, sadly. And I think a lot of people have lost perspective of the significant impact that Elvis has made. And, you know, I don't think his le- legacy has been preserved as well as it could have been. And because mm-hmm. of that, you know, I think he's starting to fade in a lot of ways and, you know, not seeing the recognition that he needs to or deserves to have. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is maybe they went too commercial with him and he became the Elvis Presley name just became this big sort of corporate machine, you know, and it took away from his legacy. And sadly, those late stage years of his life, he was a parody of himself. Um, Mm. I mean, he did nothing to enhance his own brand. And sadly, he died a parody. You know, I I really wish, you know, this is maybe cynical of me. I don't know, but I really wish he could have lived to bottom out and really hit a low and then have to rebuild Mm. his career. Kind of like Johnny Cash in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, Johnny Cash was playing clubs before he really had that, you know, he started working with Rick Rubin and really blew up again. So, I mean, I really wish he had been able to live and rebuild his career because, I mean, he died a parody and, you know, that's unfortunately, I mean, you know, we talk about aging grandparents and things like that. Like, you know, that's your last memory of that person is when you see them in the nursing home passing away from dementia, you know, you don't want that memory to be your final thing, but that's often how they're remembered because that's the last thing you see of them. And I think Elvis is suffering from that because he had become such a parody in those late stages. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. All right. Have you been to Graceland yourself? Uh, I went when I was a little kid. Um, It's probably been, gosh, 15, 20 years since I've been at least. Oh, it's been more than that. Thinking, I just realized how old I am. I'm like, yeah, it's probably been (laughs) 25 years. Um, So yeah, I, I went when I was a kid, my parents took me, um, incredibly moving. Uh, I remember getting really emotional when it came up to his grave. Um, mm-hmm. you know, even as a kid, it just kind of really, they do a really great job of presenting it. Um, you know, it's a lot like seeing the, the John Lennon Memorial in central park, you know, it's just a place of yeah. reverence and, um, it's really quiet. And then you, you really take time to memorialize the person in that space. Yeah. Yeah. It's the top of my book at list at some stage uh, I'm going to end up there but i know i'd be the same as you i'll be like a grown man walking around like crying my eyes out you know and well, brian when I'll you be, I'll, I'll make a deal with you brian when you come i'll go with you to graceland i'll i'll go with you to, to visit graceland so that way we deal, can take it in deal. together <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a plan so um we'll move on to the next one if there was again any artist performer from history that you could be locked in a room with for 24 hours who would it be Ooh, that's a tough one. It's a good one though. Again, the first person that came to mind, um, it's probably, if I sat and thought on it, this probably wouldn't be who I'd end up on, but first person was Bob Dylan. Um, he's such a strange guy. He's, he's just, he's so peculiar and he, he misdirects with his answers so often. I feel like it would take 24 hours in a room with him to actually start getting real with him. Um, you know, I think you could do a two hour long interview and you'd barely scratch the surface, but you know, you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with the guy. I feel like you might start to get to know him. Uh, and I'm just on a really big Bob Dylan kick right now. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably go with Bob Dylan. That'd be cool. 
Yeah, yeah. I actually feel like similar to what we were saying about Neil Young, he's a bit, he's known for being grumpy, but mm-hmm. there's also something about him that he's very intimidating. I'd almost oh, be yeah. scared to spend, to be in a room alone yeah. with him, you know? He can be so it's like, intense. Yeah, yeah. And you're, I actually don't think 24 hours would be enough. I'd say you'd need two, <laughs> three weeks and then you'd start seeing the real Bob Dylan. Yeah, it's very possible. I don't know. It's, I, I read his autobiography and the whole time I was just like, man, this is, this is, I, you're, I don't understand. It was just such a different perspective on his life in a lot of ways, you know, cause I, I've read no direction home and saw that really in depth look of a fly on the wall of what he was like in that period. But then, you know, you read his autobiography and it's just like, it's so different, you know? And I, even like, I was listening to an interview with Keith Richards uh, this week. And I was just thinking about like, you live in such a different reality than the way people view you. Like he's mm-hmm. almost so lackadaisical about his life in the stones when it's like, you know, the interviewer I think was doing a good job of like, no, it's the rolling stones. Like you don't understand. And he was just like, yeah, we were just laying down riffs. You know, it wasn't any, and it's like, no, that was wild. <laughs> like that was wild horses, man. Like that's more than just a riff. Um, so, you know, it'd be, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think it would probably take some time. He'd probably be too guarded. For just 24 mm. hours but man it would be cool to be in his presence for that long it would it would as intimidating as it would be it would mm. be uh a, a, like a lifetime experience yeah and the uh the final one so if there was a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life what would mm. it be oh that's a hard one um You know, just because we've been talking about Elvis so much, I'm going to go with my favorite Elvis song. Um, I don't think it's indicative of me in any way, but I just love it. Suspicious Minds. Uh, that Aloha from Hawaii version is just top tier. Um, so I'm going to pick that one just because it's so anthemic. Uh, it captures his voice so well. Um, it's just got such powerful lyrics. And it's all it was always performed so well by him. You know, I'm going to say that one. I'm sure, again, if I spent more time thinking about it, that I'd come up with something different. But, you know, I, I think at my roots, I'm such an Elvis lover that, you know, I think that's, I owe it to him to have that. Perfect. Perfect. I, uh, I love that answer. Great, <laughs> great, uh, great song out of all the hundreds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So before I let you go, do you want to tell the people future plans of the podcast where to find us sure uh so yesterday's concert podcast it's available everywhere you get uh con no not just concert podcast but just podcasts in general uh you can also go to our website yesterdaysconcert.com uh you can find out some more information about the show about me just different things going on you can listen to some of the back episodes uh we're right in the middle of season two at the recording of this um, and you know, I'm working on season three right now. I got some, some fun things planned. I do what's called encore episodes between seasons. Um, and I've got some pretty fun things planned for this, uh, this season of encore episodes coming up soon too. So yeah, come check us out. Brilliant. Brilliant. Plenty of, uh, stuff for people to look forward to. So yeah, definitely. Hello, everyone. I am Matthew Thomas, the Spirit of Super Cool Radio, and if you're looking for a great podcast that features the best independent and -and up-and-coming bands and artists, then check out my podcast, Super Cool Radio, 
Each week, I deliver fun interviews, and every Friday, I spin some killer music. You might not know some of these bands that I feature, but I guarantee you will love them. Check out Super Cool Radio on YouTube, Rumble, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or the streaming platform of your choice. Tune in and rock out! Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I for one surely did. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Your 5 star review will be read out on the show. And don't forget, you can now rate us on Spotify. You can find and follow us on all social media at Concerts That Made Us Podcast. And don't forget to check out the website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concerts that made us. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.